Today's passage comes from Lamentations chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The rose to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from the days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the foe, and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her. For they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary. Those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire. Into my bones he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. 
But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I've been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, it's hard to say this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God after that. But we know that you are infinitely wise and that you are infinitely good and you are not like us. You are sovereign and good and merciful and loving and abounding in grace. Yet you are completely righteous and completely just. And we don't get to always understand that, but we trust you more in the midst of it. God, I pray your words will go forth in our hearts and in our minds today. I pray that your word will be held in high esteem in New City Church and will be held in high esteem throughout the the world as ministers of your gospel preach and proclaim the truth and the grace. I pray that your word will be held high and that you will strengthen the saints who gather to worship you today. God, thank you for New City Church. Thank you for Ryan. Thank you for his devotion to the word and his love for your word, God. We pray that you will speak through him and that his words will wash away and that your word will stand and remain. I thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Megan. Good morning. It's going to be a different few weeks. And you know what? It's going to be great. It's going to be great because we're going to see more of Jesus than we've ever seen before. We're going to see what he has power to do in this world, power to do in our hearts. I want to just begin today by setting up a couple things. I want to set up what Lent is just for a few minutes and then set up what's going on in the book of Lamentations. What are these people dealing with? What's that have to do with us? And then we're going to make a few observations about Lamentations 1. What is Lent? Well, as you picked up on here at New City... We aim to incorporate the historic church calendar that's been in place for nearly 2,000 years into our life because it informs and forms us. And guess what? Our church was not birthed in a vacuum. You were not spiritually birthed in a vacuum either. God has been doing things among his people since the beginning of the time, and we want to lean into those things as a church. And so that's why we're we're doing that. Now, now Lent is, the, the word means this. It means springtime. It's the shortened English word for Lenten, which means springtime. So the, I think the reason why it's called this is because in the spring, things are beginning to come to life. And, and as we lead up to Easter, which is the ultimate example of what life is, the resurrection, we're, we're beginning to, to, to live in this rhythm of coming back to life if we see Jesus as what he's done and who he is in this in this world so historically it's the 40 days that are leading up to Easter 
And it usually starts on a Wednesday. That the, the church is called Ash Wednesday for some time now. You know, we didn't have an Ash Wednesday service, and, and some of you think, oh, I, I thought that was a Catholic thing, and that's not just a Catholic thing, that's, that's, a, that's a, a Protestant thing too. Uh, there, after all, there was only just one church for a thousand years. That is our church. And so we, we didn't have one of those services because we don't have a building, it's really hard to pull off in a school in the middle of the week. So that's where we traditionally start. Now the purpose of the fast that, that usually goes along with Lent uh, is to prepare our hearts as much as we possibly can to celebrate the newness of life with all that we have. What we want to do is we want to celebrate this season leading up to Easter through fasting. And so what I want you to consider, to prayerfully consider, is a fast for the next 35 or so days, if you haven't already started one, that would there would be something in your life that you could voluntarily give up for these next, this next season that would be a, a, a constant reminder of how much you need Jesus Christ in your life. Now, if you're brand new to the, the spiritual discipline of fasting, we've got some resources on our website. If you look in one of the drop-down menus, it'll say fasting. Just go and check that out. Even if you're familiar with go check it out. And I want to I challenge you. Uh, to lean into that and, and, to, and to participate in a church-wide fast that could be anything that the, the Holy Spirit leads you uh, into. And, and through this, we're going to be studying this book of Lamentations, which is one of the deepest, darkest nights of the soul that, the, uh, that God's people have ever experienced uh, before. And we're going to lean into this idea of lament, this idea of grieving and, and dealing with suffering in our lives. Because here's the deal. All of us grieve, and not many of us know what to do with it. If you're not grieving or suffering right now in your life, you will. And in the season that suffering hits you, if you don't know what to do with it, you probably won't see God in it. And suffering can do one of two things to you. It can either destroy you and, and, and put a wedge in your heart against God, or it can lead you deeper into the heart of Jesus than you've ever been before. And our hope is that it would be the latter for New City Church. What if God actually wanted to work through the pain and suffering of our lives? What if he actually wanted something for us in the midst of that? What if he wanted to do a deeper work than we could ever imagine through the pain that we might experience? Let me just quickly define what lament is. Um, I'm sure there's better definitions than this, but this is, this is ours. Lament is the process and emotion of, of struggling across the chasm of what we know to be true of God and what we experience from the effects of sin in the world. There is what typically happens when we experience suffering and grief in our lives is it has this vertigo effect on us. And we, we, we process through it, and it's messy, and we're all over the map. But really what's happening is, is we know something to be true of God from His Word, and our experience tells us this different story, and we're trying to figure out how to connect those two. That's what lament and grieving is. Now, um, so together we're going to look over the next five weeks at the book of Lamentations, and I, I want to give you a, a brief context of what's going on in this terribly, terribly sad book of the Bible. So the book of Lamentations was written by an unidentified author. Uh, most people believe it to be the prophet Jeremiah, otherwise known as the weeping prophet. 
And, and while we do not know the author, author we definitely know the, the story and the context of what's been going on in the history of God's people. Uh, there, there are five poems that comprise the book of Lamentations, and, uh, and they, are, they are formed in an acrostic fashion. Um, and so in the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters, and the first four chapters of the book of Lamentations all are in alphabetical order. Now, why, you might say, why does he do that? Now, I'm, I'm not a big poetry guy, but I've been trying to lean into this. Maybe you're like me, or maybe you love poetry. But I think the reason why Jeremiah does this is to give structure, to give trellis to his grieving because he's so all over the map in his pain. Have you ever been there before? you ever been in a place where you don't even know where to begin? You don't even know how to make sense of what's happening? Jeremiah begins to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the sense that you get of this book is that it's suffering from A to Z. It's suffering from A to Z that the, the pain of what the people were going through was so deep that lamentations helped to give structure and orientation to an otherwise painful and terrible experience. And the structure for us is good when we can't make sense of our experience, isn't it? It really is. And so the event that caused so much pain in the life of Israel occurred about 2,500 years ago in the year of 587 B.C. And what happened is that the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. Judas king, who was Zedekiah at the time, it's the southern kingdom of Israel, uh, surrendered the city to King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And, and, and basically what happened is they became a vassal city. They became a city underneath that leadership. So they were like not really free, but they kind of prolonged the agony of what was coming under King Nebuchadnezzar's wrath. And so... Uh, Israel's biggest problem, though, wasn't even Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. God could have delivered them from that, and he ultimately did. Their biggest problem was they didn't care that they were sinners. They, did, they, didn't, they weren't grieved by the pain that they caused the heart of God by the things that they were doing with their life. And so what you see in the book of Lamentations is, is the grief that is expressed through God lifting his hand of mercy up over them for a season, and you begin to see God's wrath come down on their lives. And what we see here uh, that happens is uh, King Zedekiah is, is taken off because the Babylonians finally break into the city, and there's this 18-month siege that happens where the Babylonians are outside the walls and they're doing everything they can to bleed out the Israelites from the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem was where all of the visible representations of God's presence in their life dwell. The temple, you know, the people of God live there, the promised land, all of these things, the Ark of the Covenant, all of these things in the temple were there. They were all examples of God's faithfulness and presence to them. And then over the course of 18 months, you see it all disappear. And Nebuchadnezzar burns the city to the ground. He murders people. I mean, it is a deep, dark night. He starves them. And then whatever's left, he takes the, 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 the upstanding citizens out to, to Babylon and, 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 uh, and others. Uh, he starves to death. And, and we'll look at this a little bit more next week, but it's just really deep and really, really, really dark. And then he, whoever's left in the city except Jeremiah and a, and a few others, he, he marches them almost a thousand miles away to Babylon 
to take them back into captivity, the very thing that God had delivered them from in Egypt. So imagine this, no evidence of God being in your life. No evidence. One of the, 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 the ways that Lamentation speaks to us, and I'm hopeful for us, is this. It's this funeral of a city and what seemed to be a people. But it's out of this unspeakable pain that Lamentation speaks to us today. And our benefit is that we gain a roadmap for how to lament through the pain of our own lives. And one of the most common ways that we approach suffering is that we tend to look over it. We tend to avoid it. We even tend to mock it sometimes. We do anything that we can do to get to the other side of it as quickly as we possibly can. Staff team and I were at a conference years ago, and C.J. Mahaney is a pastor. He got up and he preached, and he said, he was preaching on the book of Job, and it's a, a similar story about a man's life, though, that lost everything in a day, his family, his fortune, everything in a day. And uh, he said, you know, if you really drill down to the details of the book of Job, you could really have it all together in six chapters. So why is it 42 chapters long? And here, I'll never forget this. Here's what he said, because that's how suffering works. That's how it works. It's not quick. It's not efficient. It catches you by surprise. You don't know how to make sense of it. You're all over the map emotionally. That's normal. So three words that kind of give us context of suffering and what I'm describing here. I want to tell you how they relate. Lament, grief, and suffering. So suffering is, is, is pain that we experience. It could be physical pain. It could be illness. It could be emotional pain. It could be all types of pain that all come from the impact of sin being in the world. So we see it corporately. We see it corporately through, through things like, you know, <laughs> post-birth abortions. We see it corporately through unjust killings. We see it corporately through every ism that you can exist, classism, racism, every kind of ism that exists. We see the corporate nature of pain and the effects of sin in the world and how we try to make sense of it all. Now, grief is the process of how we deal with suffering. There's, psychologists have written about this, about how there's you know, either five or seven stages of grief, about you know, how you try to avoid it and deny it, and then you embrace it, and then you try to bargain, and maybe there's something I could do differently, and then you finally come to this place where you embrace it. Grief, it's that ex process of, of experiencing and responding to suffering and loss. Now, lament is a part of the grieving process when we take an honest turn toward God in our losses and we ask God what he's doing and how, to, how do we see him in the midst of it. Now, some of you in here today are suffering and grieving deeply. I know you are. And this will seem like a friend that sits down on the couch with you with a good cup of coffee as you hear the words and you, your life begins to make a little bit more sense in light of it. Now others of you maybe are not in a season like that and you'll likely want to get out of this series as quickly as possible. But here's the reality, we, we need this. And if you're in that season where you're not currently suffering, you're not currently grieving over anything, maybe God wants to use this in your life to be prepared and also to be a companion and a friend to someone who is going through something. Because people say the darndest things to people that are grieving and suffering, don't they? 
Anybody, I mean, I, I, I've heard some of the craziest things. I've even said some of the craziest things because we simply don't know how to respond in those moments. So let's dig in today to Lamentations chapter 1. The big idea of where we're going today is this. Jesus is not absent in our pain. He's not absent in our pain. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his work, The Problem of Pain. He says this, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to, to rouse a deaf world. So what we're asking God to do today is to shout to us and the world as we delve into exploring what it means to deal with pain. First thing is this, Lamentations 1, 1 through 3, the pain of abandonment. Let's dig in. So, so it's one thing to, to see grief and to see pain from the outside, to, to feel empathy toward people that suffer, but it is an altogether different thing to experience it, isn't it? It's altogether different. And what we see in Lamentations 1 is Jeremiah explaining the pain of Israel from an outsider initially. Um, you know, he, he looks at this, and, and the way that he describes it is he describes Israel uh, as a widow. Now, the, the interesting thing about that that I want us to explore is, is that this, this picture of, of Israel being... Um, a, a wife to the Lord or the bride of Christ as we look at in the Newer Testament is that what, what we see about our, our relationship to God is that it's primarily a relational re, uh, relationship, for lack of a better term. It's, it's not a contract. It's not a paper agreement. It is a very personal thing to be related to God. That's why he describes this connection. But because of the pain that was experienced in the destruction of Jerusalem, what had happened under King Nebuchadnezzar, is that there was, not, there was no longer any visible evidence that God uh, either was alive anymore or that he was with them. So what do you do when you're not sure that God's even alive anymore or that he's with you? I think, I think the thing that they were going through was they thought that God had left them. And so my question as we look into this is, where did he go? Where did God go? He let his people be utterly destroyed. Where did God go in that moment? Where was he at? I mean, he was with them in the flood. He parted the Red Sea. He led them through the wilderness. But now where was he to be found? Lamentations 1, 1 through 3. Let me refresh your memory. Jeremiah gives us a gritter. He says this, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her, and they have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of the affliction and hard servitude, and she dwells among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Where did God go? They were abandoned by God. That's what it felt like to them. I mean, can you imagine a more painful picture than this? Weeping women and starving children. That's what it was like 
the human experience. That's what it had been distilled to. And God was nowhere to be found in their minds. So you have this same question today, likely. Where is God? It could be for you or it could be about this text. Where was God? What is he doing? Where is he in the midst of all of this? It says that the theme that you see in Lamentations 1, it comes over and over and over again. And, and when we see that in any type of scripture or poetry, that phrase, no one to comfort her. No one to comfort her. She was experiencing utter and, and desperate pain and no one was there. Abandoned. So to, if, to, if to lament is to experience pain and that it you know, that just doesn't seem to go away, a big part of the healing process that we walk through in these situations is to pour it out before God. This is why you see Jeremiah just all over the map. He's repeating himself. You're going to see themes that keep coming up over and over and over again because that's how grieving and suffering works. It doesn't make sense. He says things that, he, that in the moment he thinks are true of God, but when we look back at it, we know they're not true. You're all over the map. Some of you have experienced that before. Some of you have been there. You're like, man, I just, I just wish that somebody could make sense out of all of this. And your temptation is to just bottle it all up and hope it goes away. But you know what happens? It never does. It never does. And so Jeremiah just writes it all out. Often we, we run to Jesus with a future-oriented, postured, and put-together petition. It sounds so great, even though we're in so much pain. And what we're describing to him is what we wish to be, what we hope to be, where we wish we were at this point in our lives, or what we wish that situation where we're suffering over would have come out to be. But this is not lament. That is fiction. And when you come to God with fictitious prayers, you can't help but be living a fictitious life. But the thing that Jesus says, the, the scriptures say, is that everything that is hidden will come into the light. That is our sin. I think it is also our pain. It will come into the light. So the question is, are we going to deal with it now? Or is God going to deal with us later? Oftentimes we, we choke back the tears. We choke back the pain. We, someone comes in, they ask us how we're doing, and we say, oh man, I'm just fine. And we're doing everything we can to keep it together as if that was what God wanted us to do. You ever think about this? We, we choke back the tears that flow from our loss and pain as if our bodies were responding to pain in an unnatural way. When in reality, our avoidance of emotion and pain is the most unnatural thing that you can do. And that's why some of you right now just need to start crying. <laughs> you just need to let it out. You just need a good friend to sit with you as you try to make sense of whatever's going on in your life right now. you got to lean into the mess of it. Now, in this whole book of Lamentations, we barely hear God's voice. Barely. Three words that Jeremiah says God says to him during this as he's writing it. You know what they are? Do not fear. <laughs> are, are you serious, God? Do not fear? I mean, look at what we've dealt with. What do you mean, do not fear? In our own lament and grieving, uh, in our pain that even results from our sin and the sin in the world, he says, do not fear. But our tendency, 
our tendency is to equate the silence of God in these moments, in this pain, with the absence of God. And that's how we begin to think that God has abandoned us. We might not say that to God, but we certainly feel that way. But I want to I share with you this quote from Karl Barth where he says this. And the, the question I'm answering is, is Jesus, is God, is he gone? Or is he present? It says, the exhaustion of human possibility clearly presupposes the possibility of God. Are you at the end of your rope today? Are you there? Well, how do you know that you're at the end of your rope? Could there be something or someone beyond what your experience is today? I think that's what pain shows us. It shows us that there is the possibility of God being there and comforting us, even when he seems absent. So the question for us as we, th- we think about this idea of God abandoning his people is will we slow down enough to feel? Will we slow down enough to embrace what's really going on or we just keep blowing by it with our to-do list, with our next career option, with our next whatever it is? We just be so busy that we can't even hear God in the midst of all of it. Don't miss the deep work that God wants to do in your life. Because if you're in pain and in suffering, that's the only way God can get to it. That's why you're experiencing that. Secondly, let's look at this, the pain of consequence. You know, it'd be nice for us to to pick and choose when we engage with pain. You know, how about uh, November 21st of this year? That sounds like a great time to suffer. Wouldn't that be nice? doesn't work like that, though, does it? Hits us, hits us in all the wrong times, right? In all the wrong places. Real grief and lament breaks into our hearts at all the wrong times. And, and that's what happens in Lamentations 1.12. So Jeremiah is writing from the third person. He's kind of put together, even though his words are, you know, are very painful. And he breaks, listen to what he does. He's, he's, he's right, he's, picture this, he's journaling, he's writing down the book of Lamentations here, and all of a sudden he just can't take it anymore. Listen to what he says, Jeremiah, or Lamentations 1.12. He's writing third person, third person, third person, Lamentations 1.12. Is it nothing for you, all who pass by? Picture this, he's sitting down. The city of Jerusalem is burned to the ground. He's watching people from every different country and every different nation walk around. And he's just sitting there and he says, is is this nothing to all of you who pass by? Is there any sorrow like this sorrow that I'm experiencing right now? And it was brought upon me which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. That's how suffering works. It just breaks in when you're not expecting it. Jeremiah is saying, God gave us what we deserve and it is utterly unbearable. I can't take it anymore. God gave us what we deserve. Man, that is a painful reality. Isn't that a painful statement? Just to even hear those words. I I approach God with an entitled sense of, uh, uh, just an entitled sense (laughs) a lot of times. I I, I, uh, I ask him, you know, God, why did you allow this illness? Why did you allow this situation that's going on in my community? Why did you allow this situation that's going on in my family or in our church? Why did you let that marriage dissolve? Why did you let these things happen, God? And I approach him that way as if I was entitled to his grace and mercy. 
And what we see going on in Lamentations is God just lifting his hand. Saying, you, you really want to sin? You really want to go for that? Well, let's just see where it leads. Let's just see what happens. And it's not a joking matter, is it? It's, it's terribly painful. So Je- uh, Jeremiah responds in, in, in Lamentations 1.18 by saying this. You know, the Lord is in the right. I rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. What he's saying is there's no future for us. I can't, I can't see the future. I can't see the next steps of what's going to happen. I can't see it anymore. And this isn't just a, a scripture to be read for us, but it's a, it's a pain to enter into for us. Part of what we're going after in Lent is, is not <laughs> keeping the grace of Jesus away from you, but, but it's hitting the gas pedal a little bit more in this area where we, we ask God to show us a little bit more of our sins so that we can experience more of his grace. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this about, about this, this idea of consequence. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. And otherwise, God is not the problem. <laughs> it, your sin and your pain that, that has caused or sin that has caused your pain, whether it's yours or someone else's, God is not uh, insufficient in his ability to deal with that. This is what Isaiah is saying here. He goes on to say this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear. So who separated us from God? Ourselves, our sin. So should God leave us? In his justice, he should absolutely abandon us, unhitch his wagon from us. We are a mess, and we continue to spiral. The the world, you know, isn't necessarily getting better, right? I mean, sin isn't necessarily less than it was 50 years ago, right? God's kingdom is still coming, but sin is still very prevalent in our own hearts, in our own lives, and in the world. Should God leave us? In his justice, he should, but in his love and his mercy, he will not leave us. He will not abandon us, and he will not give us what we deserve through Jesus. So let's, let's turn to look at where our hope lies in, in all of this. How do we find comfort in pain? Well, we see that Jesus has dealt with abandonment and consequence once and for all. Abandonment. Uh, how has Jesus dealt with us in, with this idea of abandonment, that God has left us? We see that sin makes us all orphans, widows, as he said in, in, in Lamentations 1. But grace makes us children. Listen to, to Matthew 27, 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land. This is Jesus on the cross here until the ninth hour. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means this, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Now, when I, when I look at this, Jeremiah is dealing in Lamentations 1 and the, the, the fall of Israel. He's dealing with this feeling of abandonment. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, is not only dealing with the feeling of abandonment, but the actual reality of abandonment. His father abandoned him. His father poured out the full weight of God's wrath against sin on his son. You read the story about Abraham and Isaac, 
and, and, and Abraham's going to sacrifice his son. And, and God stops him and provides this substitutionary atonement, this ram stuck in a, in a thicket. God let the knife drop with his son. You want to talk about abandonment? Jesus was abandoned. There is no suffering like what he has experienced. And here's the deal. Jesus claimed to do it for all of us. The question is, what do you do with that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus really came to give himself for you? That his Father's wrath was poured out all against our sin? Dad, why have you left me? That's what he was saying on the cross. And in that moment, Jesus finally and fully feels the weight of what it means to be an orphan. Jesus has it all poured out on him, and he says it's finished. Now, Jesus, whenever he goes to the grave, he takes all of our sin with him. And to all who would believe on him, get this opportunity to experience what he brings up from the grave. Listen to, to Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul, Paul is writing this letter here to this church in Philippi, and he says this. He says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I know, I know the, the, the death that sin brings, but I want to know his life. I know all the things I've done wrong, but I want to know what he can do in spite of that. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection that I can share in his suffering. Church, the way that we get to experience the life of Jesus, one of the ways is we get to share in the fellowship, the koinonia of his sufferings. We get to share in that, and through what we suffer, we experience what it means to be a child of God. Because guess what? God had one son, and what did he do? He suffered. So as he is bringing many sons and daughters to glory, we're going to suffer. It is part of the Christian experience. I don't care who you are and what you've come from. Suffering doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It just means that he loves you enough to make you like Jesus. Amen? How has the Lord invited you to share in the fellowships of his suffering today? It, it could be someone that God has put in your life that is suffering deeply and maybe there's a fellowship element of you coming alongside that person. It could mean pouring your heart out and being honest before God. It could be pouring your heart out and being honest with your spouse or your friend or whatever conflict that you've got that's causing grief and stress in your life and in your family. Where is God inviting you to share in the fellowship of his suffering? Because suffering is the evidence of how much he loves us. He loves us enough to make us like Jesus. Secondly, we see that Jesus deals with the consequence of, of sin. The one that Jeremiah and the Israelites felt they felt, the, they felt the consequence of sin. Because we see that sin has led us to death, but grace leads us to life. And we see that Jesus is guilty so that we can live free. I mentioned this earlier, but... But I want to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 for you. And, and I'll mention Galatians 3 as well. 1 Peter says this. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now, before I say anything else, 
If you turn over to Galatians chapter 3, I think it's 19 and 20 maybe, the scriptures talk about this idea that, that anyone in a Jewish culture that was, that was hung on a tree was cursed, meaning cut off from God. So the fact that Jesus was crucified on a cross and not executed some other way is proof that he took the curse that you and I incurred upon ourselves in the garden when we disobeyed God. We said, hey God, we know we, we got a better way to do this. Jesus took it, so he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might, here's the power that we have, the resurrection power through faith in Jesus, here's what you have the power to do, to die to sin. That's what we're doing in Lent. We're saying, God, help me die to sin. I don't want to just take advantage of your grace anymore. I need your grace, but I want to die to sin. We might die to sin and live to righteousness because the disease of sin in our lives is like a cancer that there is no cure for other than faith in Jesus Christ. Because by his wounds you've been healed. Now, does that mean, does that healing happen all at once? Is it just like I've come to faith in Jesus, I'm good to go now, I'm healed? No, it is this incremental healing that we experience as we follow Jesus. And guess what? Everyone that you encounter in life gets the opportunity to experience the healing that you have found in Jesus. The, the healing from the sinful patterns that you had that used to avoid, used to avoid people when they hurt you, the, 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 the way that you dealt with stress, the vices that you've got, the addictions that you've experienced. Jesus has come to bring healing to all of those things. And because you are experiencing healing, those that are around you get the, get the benefit of experiencing that same healing. Jesus, church, gets the final word in our grieving and our suffering because he is anything but absent in our suffering. Jesus has come and he's felt it and experienced it more than you and I will ever experience it. And because of that, through faith in him, we can have joy, even in the pain. And we can be honest because he hasn't left us. So let's pray together and, uh, and go to the Lord with this. Father, I thank you uh, uh, that you've given us this deep, dark history book of your people. And, and God, I'll be honest, I don't want to read this. I would much rather just go talk about the resurrection than talk about the consequences of sin and the feeling of abandonment, Lord. But that's just not where we're at. Lord, I pray for those in here today that, uh, that would do anything to experience the healing of your presence in their lives. Some of them have been burned by people they trusted the most. They don't even know if they can trust you because your people have hurt them so deeply. Some of them have experienced death of a loved one. They're grieving. Some of them, some of us, have just been hurt by others, and we've hurt others with our sin, with our selfish decisions. God, no matter where we're at today, no matter whether, whether the victim or the perpetrator of pain and suffering, we all know this. There's only one who can deal with it, and it's your son, Jesus. So Lord, may we honor him and lift him high when we can't quite see the light. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.